0: It's cold up here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where I'm sitting, but today's guest host for Spirit in Action is located in the far less cold atmosphere of Richmond, Virginia. Patricia Stansbury is known on air as Sunny Gardner, and she hails from a region much more clearly associated with the civil rights movement. And we're sharing today an interview that she did for her local radio station, WRIR, back in July of last year. Her three guests all had roles in the civil rights movement from different perspectives, including marching alongside with Martin Luther King Jr., to watching local school segregation and integration, to being part of protests, and they have observations and hopes for the racial justice work of today, drawing on their decades of involvement. Patricia's guests are Charles Carter, Janet Warsham, and Sally Rugg. And her program is called Groundswell. I'll turn it over now to Patricia Stansbury, a.k.a. Sunny Gardner, down in Richmond, Virginia. It's all yours, Patricia.
1: All right. Welcome to another Sunny Garden production. Three people have joined me virtually here in the loft studio at Epic Gardens, where we record and produce lightly on the ground radio and groundswell, both our first broadcast on Richmond Independent Radio, an all-volunteer radio station. You can find it at 97.3 and at WRIR.org. Congressman John Lewis died on July 17, 2020, at the age of 80. He was a civil rights leader who served Georgia's Fifth District from 1987 until the day he died. From 1963 till 66, he served as the chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. He marched with Martin Luther King and was arrested 40 times, beaten bloody a number of times, and still persisted in his nonviolent action toward justice for all. His life will continue to be a light for civil rights workers. I have three very interesting and experienced people with me, and I'm going to give them a chance to introduce themselves briefly, but I'll just call their names Charles Carter, Janet Worsham, Sally Rugg. Thank you so much, all of you, for being here. So Charles, thank you for coming. Remind us of just a 30-second version of your history that brings us up to date so that we can talk about the experiences that we've had that perpetuate our concern for justice. Well,
2: I grew up about Sixty-five miles from here, in a place called Farmville, Mm
1: -hmm. which
2: at one time was considered the most racist county in America. Uh Uh-oh, right. And it closes public schools to all African Americans. But when it made the mistake, and it always, I think it was Stalin that said that mistakes are made no matter how you try to do it. Their mistake was that it affected the poor whites. That could not afford to pay the tuition to go to the private white school that they built.
1: How about the schools in Richmond, Janet? Tell us a little bit about that, just so we know what your voice sounds like when we talk together.
3: I taught in Richmond City Schools starting in 1968 at Chandler Middle School on Brooklyn Park Boulevard.
1: And that was an integrated school?
3: Integrated. And then when busing came in, the first year was fall of 1971, it was greatly integrated.
1: All right. And Sally Rugg?
4: I went to T.J. when it was all white. T.J. and John Marshall were the only two white high schools in town. And a lot of change since then. I came back to Richmond in 92, and I see a big difference. I think right now is a very exciting time.
1: How has our history prepared us for these times? How can we use what we know and have experienced in being part of today's world, of today's radical action?
2: As a small child in 1962, I walked into the basement of the First Baptist Church and went into the office of Reverend L. Francis Griffin, my whole face hit the ground when I was staring into the face of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.
1: And you recognized him,
2: of course. I oh, him <laughs> from his teachings, the teachings of Reverend Griffin, the teachings of my parents, my grandparents. I see what's happening today is that a lot of people is fighting for what is right even though we have people from the outside that's infiltrating them causing problems, but they're still looking at everybody's the same. Uh, I heard Sally say, I think it was Sally said something about the teachers when they had to leave their schools, how it affected them. There was a time that we took pride in what high school, you know, that we went to our football team, our band, our teachers. And Vaughnville one of the most famous teachers that have ever came out of Virginia was a lady by the name of Dorothy Vaughn. And if you seen the movie Hidden Fitness, Dorothy Vaughn was one of the computer experts that helped put man on the moon. Mm-hmm. And it, well well it, well actually into space. It's the same Dorothy Vaughn. She had been a mathematics teacher in Bonneville. It do make a difference when you have to move like that, but people are coming together. They're not, this is no longer the old South where the Confederate flag just rising and it's just people. Hmm. You live together, you worship together. We're worshiping the same God you know it's like I said to someone last night if you need an operation and you're white and I got you know like something happened to me and I'm dead and you need a part of my body you can take it. I spent a lot of time at the Lee Memorial
1: this past month?
2: yes All I right. was there before yesterday probably be there today. All right. what I'm seeing is there's still people from the old south that wants people of color to feel like they're being looked down upon because of the statue. That statue is not white America's heritage. Their heritage is those three ships that they came America on. We need to come together and teach each other that we're no different. But the part of me telling you that where I'm from and that it was the most racist county in America is that my ancestors, my great-great-great-grandfather, whose name was Ephraim Roulette, born in 1801 in Prince Edward County, Virginia. His wife, his children, Prince Edward County, Virginia. His wife's name was Nanny. They had three children, Henry, Jerry, and LeBurn. Henry was my great-great-grandfather. So I have to look at this every time I pass it. I have to look at Jeff Stewart. You know, these people are still looking down on me and affecting my life because it's been part of my family's life. I would like other people to put themselves in my face. You want to see that every day. You know, would you want to see these people that had your family raped, beaten, murdered, sold? Would you want to look at that every day? Mm -hmm. I have nothing against those statues. I definitely have nothing against those human beings. But put it in a museum. Put it somewhere where people don't have to sit there and worship it as some people is and other people sitting there hating it because it happened to their family.
1: Well, Charles, I I want to circle back to what you said a moment ago. You said that we're all one and that we're all in this together, in in other words. Yes! And I think that that is the approach that's going to hold us in good stead and I think also that there are many 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 more people who feel that way than who want to divide us and by getting together and speaking this I mean it must have some effect all this consciousness around the fact that we are one race that we are one people that we're one creation I think that there are a lot more of us who feel that way than who feel that we need to remain separate. Um, I could be wrong. What what does anyone else have to say?
3: I agree. Janet? This is a conversation that I dreamed of 50 years ago when I was a young teacher and wished for. But it was too soon. There weren't enough hearts that had changed. And now, there were white people that marched with blacks 50 years ago, but there were very few. And now there are many, so... We have many more hearts and minds that have changed. And I feel very, very hopeful that the hatred and fear, a lot of it, when I hear people talk in racial terms or have uh, negative feelings, is from fear. It's the fear of not knowing any black people. It's the fear of not having any close black friends or close neighbors. And they think of them as the other. No. They're human beings like us, and I have many, many black friends that I love and care about, former students, many, many former students, and I I just, they mean so much to me. I'm very hopeful that as painful as this is, that we're going to evolve, hopefully, in a more positive way.
2: Sunny, something else I wanted to say, because I had this done to me a couple of days ago, I have a friend that had never spoke to a black man until we met. I had never spoken to a Polynesian until we met, but she lived on a small island in a wife, and one of her neighbors was standing out on the street with a sign that said Black Lives Matter and said that somebody had actually chastised her for doing that, so the whole community got out holding up signs there was eight people there was the whole community but there was still out there supporting Black Lives Matter
1: starts with a little wave and becomes a groundswell Sally what were you going to say
2: I think we can
4: support this movement but I think it's basically a minority group now demanding justice and equality and it's pretty much their thing We can't do it for them.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: Nope. We get no credit. We can back them up. But it's really blacks moving and seizing power.
1: Yeah.
4: Power cannot be bestowed. It must be seized.
1: I'm afraid you're right, Sally. Give us a little history on that concept.
4: It's a sociological concept Mm -hmm. that I learned in sociology at Antioch. But a minority group is initially rejected by the majority, and they withdraw into themselves and they gain power. And eventually they are able to march back into the society and be accepted as equal. And this is what I see happening right now. This is the time of critical mass when it's going to happen. This is not just a sudden case of marching and... It's going to die down. I think it really has reached critical mass and going to be pursued until
1: it really. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Sally, that we need to be there but not try to lead what's going on.
4: Yes, that's it, it exactly.
1: One thing that I was talking with Anna Edwards recently for the show and, and personally, and I asked her how... People like myself, just ordinary, ostensibly white ladies, can help. She said to be advocates. You know, we can't tell anyone what to do, but we can support by being there in numbers, by holding the signs, by taking some risk.
4: Yeah, and we can challenge all the put-downs and things that... Well, I had a black friend in Richmond. We were shopping together at Big Lots, and she said, one of the store managers is following me around. I think today I would really go up to that person and challenge them.
1: Yeah, that stereotyping. So, back out on the streets where these protests are taking place, have all of y'all been, been involved in street protesting?
4: No, I can't
2: physically no. do that. I can't physically either.
1: No, I mean in the, in the past, back when we were younger.
2: I marched with Dr. King. I marched on both, marched on Washington. And Janet? No,
3: but I supported it. Right. I, I, I didn't have the energy to march on Washington. I, I, just, I just don't have the strength in my legs.
1: hmm <laughs> Right. And you, Sally, did you walk?
3: No, my mother did. Uh-huh.
1: All right. Yeah. And she was in that
4: march. In Washington.
1: Yeah. I'm going to have to tell you all a short story before I go to break. My sister died recently, very recently. The first person I spoke with was her second child, her, a son who had done military service, a couple of tours in Afghanistan. And he had then worked out building large things out west. And now he's back home in Georgia and had gotten to spend some time with her. I asked my nephew what he had done with my sister while he was back in town over the past month. He said that they mostly talked about issues of justice because she was always concerned and watching TV and and irate about what was going on in the streets and in the neighborhoods of the cities and, you know, why people are getting killed, why people don't have enough to eat. So she was always concerned about that. And she passed away the week before the Black Lives Matter rally in Clarksville, Georgia. My nephew, who had never done a political action other than being in the war, was going to take his family and they were going to go and represent his mother at the Black Lives Matter in Clarksville, Georgia. And I just thought that was a good tribute, that, you know, he's, he's considering this. And as an aside, he also was incensed, to put it mildly, that the military was being called on to defend the powers that be against peaceful protests. He found the militarization of the police really a sad thing. So... Anyway, there's my little recent story of my family. It's generation after generation. They learn how to be in society from their parents.
4: I was in a march in New York City in the 70s and 80s.
3: As a music teacher and conductor, I was in an army band and had the authority. We never played Dixie. And I took a lot of heat for it, but I I stand by my decision.
1: I would guess so. And the Dixie Chicks just changed their name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Now they just call themselves the Chicks.
2: One march that I didn't mention is that in 1969, me and five of my friends led the second walkout of a public school system in U.S. history. Ooh. And we marched three and a half miles from the high school to the county courthouse to protest the school board of a superintendent that I had a good teacher because he became part of the community. We wanted this teacher back but they would not rehire him so the first day we didn't march, we just wouldn't go to class. We did not disrupt school, we went into the library, we went into the auditorium, the gym, out on the football field, on the school buses, anywhere, and held our own classes without teachers. The next day is when they're some of us met at school before the buses started coming in because Prince Edward County only at that time and still only have one high school. So when the buses start coming in, we were standing at an entrance at the school and told them when the bell ring at 9 o'clock, walk outside very quietly, line up on the front lawn, and we we're going to march downtown to the school board and protest. And I literally still have a newspaper clipping from that march and all you can see is a line of children. No adults, only children. Marching to fight for justice.
1: Today's musical selection is March, March from the new release by The Chicks. The video is an education in itself. Check it out.
5: March to my own drum, march, march to my own drum. Hey, hey, I'm an army of one. Oh, I'm an army of one. March, march to my own drum, march, march to my own drum. Hey, hey, I'm an army of one. Weapon and take it to the gun range I'll oh, cut the shit, you ain't going to the gun range Standing with them, and her sons and daughters Watching our youth have to solve our problems I follow them, so who's coming with me? After you love me, half already hate me
1: of Groundswell, a Sunny Gardner production for Richmond Independent Radio, where you can listen in the archives at wrir.org.
0: Let me break in for a moment on Spirit in Action guest host Sunny Gardner, i.e. Patricia Stansbury, sharing an episode from her show, Groundswell. She's filling in for me today, and I hope all you listeners are feeling further enriched because you get to hear someone besides me, Mark Helpsmeet. We've got the links that Patricia mentions on northernspiritradio.org, along with links for all kinds of guests for Spirit in Action and Song of the Soul for the past 16-plus years. And there are connections to the stations that carry our programs, an opportunity for you to post comments, and for you to support us by making a donation. All that on northernspiritradio.org. Please remember to start off, however, by helping out the local community radio stations that carry this kind of excellent, beyond-the-corporate-interest local programming. Patricia's WRIR station could certainly use your help, as could WOOL up in Massachusetts, KPSQ in Arkansas, KROV in California, and WCRS in Ohio. All over the place, you have access to great local stations that are growing community and knowledge from the ground up. Back over to Sonny Gardner and Groundswell filling in for me today for Spirit in Action.
1: So what would you change if we could change something about the way things are going down today?
3: I know we can't change it, but I wish that the few people who do violence would stop the violence because that negates the positiveness. So many are peaceful and they get overlooked because the violence becomes the leading headline.
4: Yeah, and usually that is people who are not part of the local group that come in somewhere and people have been asked to tell the police early on if they spot them so they can be shut down.
2: What I would like to see is the police and the community sit down and talk now i know all policemen are not bad all people in the community is not bad but sit down and talk and see if we can come to an understanding with each other instead of the police out there at night tear gas and pepper spray and pepper balls rubber bullets we come one because Three years ago, we marched up Monument Avenue to Lee's Memorial, demanding they raise the minimum wage, and the police
1: went with us. Right.
2: What happened?
1: I have a theory. One of the things that really shocked me in this whole thing. So we're having the we're having the protests, and I was talking uh-huh. with people about what it was like to be at medical college that first night. They were kettled, and then trapped in corners and not allowed to leave. And then when they had kettled them into these corners, that's when they started tormenting them. That's when the police started physically assaulting and arresting and that. The next day or the second day after that, the mayor and the chief of police stood and apologized for the action of their police saying that it was beyond their control and that things would be taken in hand and then it unwinds and unwinds more and more and so you have these peaceful days and then the these militarized police come in late at night and change everything, wow. actually not necessarily late at night because I know that they were tear-gassed before dark one night down at the Lee Memorial. Yeah. It really seems, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to go there, but it really seems like the police force is somewhat rogue. Am I wrong?
2: no you're not because they have attacked many peaceful protests and one part of the constitution is you have the right to protest you have the right to assemble and protest and now the police say no you don't it's the leaders of this country that have changed things the way it is it's our leaders that are saying <laughs> no. But I'm serious because really? even growing up the way it to me I've always loved America. Mm-hmm. I went to war for America. Ahead of that Charles. I,
3: I think there are people that feel might is right. They want to go back to might. And until we have more people change their heart and it's more than that, give up their egos so often in the heat of confrontation, even with students, people's egos come in, and then that Mike, I'm right struggle happens. And I think we need to teach people how to control that ego that takes us over at the moment, whether it be a teacher or a a bus driver that somebody cuts in front of and they want to ram their car. As human natures, we have a quick reaction and I think we need to be taught how not to react because often when we react, it just escalate things. And so I think the police, as well as our society, might does not make you right.
2: Yeah, Sonny, you've been to where I live at and like I live in Scott's Addition and it few African-Americans living within this community. But the people in the building I live in, we see each other, we got something nice to say, we laugh, and, you know, everything is fine. I have seen very little problems since I've been been living in this building for the last six years. Very little problem of being looked on different. There's not a lot of African Americans in this building, but as I said, you know, like I'm friends with everybody. I mean, they're friends with me. I was upstairs last week and a young lady I hadn't seen in a couple of months because of the pandemic. We decided we're gonna take a chance and hug each other. <laughs> and we did. You know right. And, uh, right, and that's how it should be. It's no difference. I'm a human being, they are human beings. We need to get to these policemen and tell them to put down the ride gear, put down the guns, put down the tear gas, and let's just come together as one. But mm-hmm. how do we do that? Who do we talk to? Yeah,
3: how do we do that? That's the question.
1: Well, how do uh, we do uh, it? Sally?
4: Some places place it, it is happening there revising what policemen should be doing and putting social workers in where policemen have been trying to function.
1: The Marcus David Peters case that brought it on, this is yeah. the young man who was murdered by police in the middle of 95 while having a mental breakdown and yeah. the idea of having a SWAT team arrive at a medical crisis Especially with so many people who have war-related PTSD, that's just a, a harsh thing to do. So they want to have mental health professionals arrive, conflict arbitrators, negotiators, more um, solution-oriented response. How that'll unfold remains to be seen, but it certainly sounds like an idea whose time has come, or is an idea whose time is well past. Because we have to backtrack from the where, where we are now with it.
4: Sometimes a person does need to be restrained, but they could use hospital personnel, not policemen, to do it.
1: Thank you. Right. I mean, thinking about all the wrestling that nurses have done to keep people under control in just day-to-day nursing situations.
2: I have an idea, and I'm thinking about doing it, but I don't know how it's going to work.
1: What's that idea, Charles?
2: The idea is I was going to walk into the police station and ask to speak to the commissioner and ask him, can we sit down and talk? All
3: you can do is say yes or no.
2: Yeah. You know, that was the idea. And I had a friend who is a lieutenant in the police department over on Chamberlain. I was going to give Michael a call and see if he could, could somewhere or another set up something. hmm But the people needs to be able to voice their opinion to the police. And drive it home to them. This is not Nazi Germany. We don't do that here. They did it in Germany and look what happened. Six million innocent people died because of their religious beliefs.
1: And the same thing was starting... The way that those people were trained and brought up to be SS forces.
3: Indoctrinated.
1: Yeah, Eagle. and it started in school. Power
3: is right. Might is right.
1: Right, and it starts very young.
4: Might only escalates. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And I have... Um, does anyone else have trouble with sports and sort of the jock mentality? I struggle with it because I see, generally, segregation of sexes. So you'll have these all-boy sports teams with all-male coaches, generally. And they're taught to conform without question. And they're taught about teamwork and about winning over the other team. And there's this whole separateness and a certain brute force that comes with like football teams and that sort of thing. I see that as a force, you know, and it totally depends on the coaches, of course. But does anyone else see that, you know, sort of the beginning of, do you see the seeds of that kind of capability for a group to coalesce and do something together regardless of their conscience? Do you see any of that in sports?
3: Yes, it's, I, I, the part that bothers me is to win at all costs. And I don't agree with that. I think you win by being fair and being the best players. But I am hopeful. A Football, NFL hired the first woman assistant coach last year. Uh, I think baseball has a couple of women umpires. So women are slowly breaking into the major league sports. I think there is a, a one-woman coach... Major League Basketball, I think there are a lot of great things about sports. But the winning at all costs bothers me. And I think it goes along with that power, power play.
4: I find when I'm watching a basketball game, I can admire moves made by the opposing team. I'm not just rooting for my own teams. Right.
1: <laughs> not right.
4: But when you watch ice hockey, there's so much skullduggery and slamming people against walls. and I hate that sport. I do,
2: too. I hate ice hockey. Well, I'm going to have you ladies laugh at me. My nickname is Coach Carter. Uh-huh. I have been a coach for over 30 years. I coach football and baseball. I have three of my former players walking around with Super Bowl rings on their face. Uh-huh. Wow. But when I first started coaching, I was coaching little league baseball, and you would have to draft your players. Well, we had these tryouts, and people would look at these athletes. Well, I saw a little girl that had all of the talent, if even more than most of the boys that were out there. And when we started drafting, it was drafting right past her. No one called her name, so I drafted her, and. The other coaches looked at me and said, "John, why'd you waste waste the first-man draft choice on that girl? will not nobody going to draft her. And I looked at her. I said, I didn't see a girl. I saw an athlete. She has the ability to do this job that I'm going to pick her. I have been like that all my life. I have lost in games because of girls. I've gotten knocked out a playoff game because of a girl. A team that I had that was guaranteed from the age of 12 to 15, guaranteed to win the championship, because I had three players on me. One of them that was 6'1", 235 pounds, two hundred and fifty five pounds, and 6'3", 190 pounds, left-hand quarterback, age 12, 12, and 13. We were destroying people, and we lost because a girl... <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what was her, Charles? What was her superpower that that beat the that won the game?
2: I saw my running back go into a pile of kids, and I saw somebody take the ball out of his hand and uh-huh. return to 65 oh, God, the opposite direction, right? And <laughs> took the ball from him. It was a girl, a man.
1: Girl. All right.
2: <laughs> but I have always believed, I don't care if you're male or female, if you got that ability, then you deserve the choice. Yes. Yeah, right. Because right. it, it has happened to black people. Now, have either one of you ever heard of Wendell Scott? Yes. Did you know that Wendell Scott was the first African-American, not only to win a NASCAR grand national championship. He's the first African-American to be inducted into the Hall of Fame for NASCAR. Mm-hmm. I was married to his cousin. You know, so I have seen the struggles not only from African-Americans, but also from women. And I think that if they can do it, they just deserve that bad chance.
1: All right. Well, let's just take a little break and listen to some more music. For our second musical selection, Charles Carter suggested the second stanza of the Star-Spangled Banner. I found numerous versions of the lyric, but nowhere a decent recording of that particular stanza, so I'll read it with a large chorus in the background. Stand up, stay seated, or take a knee for justice, you're listening to Groundswell. so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country should leave us no more. Their blood has washed out their foul footstep's pollution, no refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave, and the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. I'm going to read something from Public Radio International now, that's PRI.org. The language is definitely archaic and seems a little confusing unless you know the context. Essentially, says writer and academic Jason Johnson, Francis Scott Key was happy to see former slaves who had joined the British as part of their colonial marines getting slaughtered and killed as they attempted to take Baltimore. The entire song sort of leads up to this point, Johnson adds, where he's essentially saying to these terrible, ungrateful black people, this is the consequence of standing up against the United States. So it's clearly racist, it's clearly pro-slavery, and it's pretty much in line with the kind of man that Francis Scott Key was. Key was a typical white Marylander of his time, and he favored slavery. About 6,000 African-Americans fled to the British during the War of 1812 on the promise of freedom. Most of the men were recruited into the Royal Navy or into the Colonial Marines, a mostly black unit which fought with distinction. It's an amazing opportunity for African-Americans to fight for their freedom, says Johnson. And that's from the PRI program, The World. Now back to our conversation with our local friends. So beyond sports, you know, there's, there are the academics in the classrooms, and there are the arts. And Janet, as a as an art teacher, as a music teacher, talk a little bit about teaching the arts in general in in the public school system in Richmond.
3: Well, I taught orchestras and bands for many years, and I always approached them as a team and teamwork. One thing that always bothered me that there were so few black people in classical music. And the ones that were, were wonderful. Joe Kennedy Jr. who was the music supervisor for many years. He and Thomas Bridge, they were the only two blacks in the Richmond Symphony for many, many, many years. But when I taught music, I taught classical music but I incorporated it with modern music as much as possible. Mm. I had first middle school stage band in the area. We had a very active stage band. When I moved to Henderson Middle School in Northside, they shut down Chandler. I was at Chandler for seven years and then Henderson Middle School was the brand new school that opened. And we had a wonderful stage band for several years. And so, i tried to give the students both the music they loved which i also loved rock and roll we had some pieces that quincy jones had done we liked to play we had a commercial the kids loved music from the commercials i don't know why
1: like
3: oh man that theme music so i tried to connect with them as much as i could i saw the children loved art some of them to this day are Facebook friends of mine, and they send me videos of their children in band class or in orchestra. I had a young student, a former student last year, call me who was a little violin player, and she calling me from Chicago. Mm. And I said, w- "What are you? Why are you calling me? It's great to hear from you." And she said, "You taught me violin." and I'm sitting here now teaching my grandchild violin and I've been thinking of you. Oh. And I hung up the phone, I think I cried, it, mm-hmm. I was so touched. Yeah. And they sent me videos of my child's going to Hampton University, uh, he's primary drum line, um, one of my former students is a federal judge in Alexandria, Virginia, still in music, Part time. His son is in music. It's something that, unless you've experienced it, it's hard to explain.
0: Yeah, we had
3: some wonderful art teachers, meaning fine arts. Uh-huh. Uh, Dennis Winston. He's still around. He was a wonderful art teacher, real famous for his spoon art. It's a creative. Well, music, instrumental music vocal music is more of a team activity than, say, a fine arts projects. Mm-hmm. But, okay. um, so, I, I love sports, and I played sports in my younger days, so I, I used the concept of sports often thinking when I taught instrumental music. Well, I can remember saying to one group, alright, this is our big time, this is our Super Bowl of the year, and the kids loved it yes, when geez. I said, this is our Super Bowl often with beginners, I had half the class want to be saxophone players and half wanted to be drummers. <laughs> and you can't have a band that way. Mm-hmm. So I would equate it to, look, I'm like a coach. If you come to me and want to be on a baseball team and half of you want to be pitchers and half want to play first base, we can't have a team. So now I need to have y'all work with me and pick different instruments. And I found that the students and the parents, they understand understood
1: those analogies you know what what just struck me you know i've heard of uh there used to be police departments would have choirs and they would Uh, have you know um benevolence things going on and now i'm kind of wondering you know what do the police department do for camaraderie their jobs are very very stressful right they're frowned upon by so many people you know, if they had a choir to sing in, they would have something uplifting to do together, you know, rather than just going to the gym and working out together or that sort of thing. I don't. It was just a thought, you know. If if the police were part of a community among themselves that did something uplifting, and maybe there still are choirs. I don't know. I'm just talking through my hat right, right now. The
2: pandemic won't let us sing.
1: That's right. <laughs>
2: well, sunny. Right. Yes, dear. You had this thing within the last couple of years, and it was going around the whole country, that the police departments, the fire departments, they would get together and challenge each other to like a lip sync contest or something. And they would, co- they would actually get all of the community to work with them, the children, everybody, would get in with the police and do something. They did it here in Richmond, they did it in Chesterfield, they did it all over. They did it in Farmville, and you probably wouldn't remember the Steve Harvey show where he was a school teacher and subject to entertainment was a coach or something, but one of those kids that was on that show was a kid by the name of the Lady of Rage. Rage is from Farmville. And I grew up with her aunts, uncles, her grandmother. I have the last picture that was taken with her great-grandmother. She was a big-time rapper with Snoop Dogg on. I mean, she was really out there with TV, movies, okay, music with the police. Oh, okay. Them. So it's things that the police still do. If that's why I don't understand why they're having the problem that they are part
1: of the community. Well, I love the idea that you had of having a conversation with them, and I think that's the direction that we need to go in, is engaging with, you know, the people that should be our allies. Yeah. But alas, yeah. we are running out of time. Let's just have a quick wrap-up of any last thoughts that you have, and I'll cut you loose for the afternoon. I sure do appreciate this. You know, we're talking about how to move into the future with the energy that we have and the energy that we people of certain age have brought with us along with our experience. Any last words, please?
3: I hope that the Richmond Mounted Police survive the cuts. I know horses are expensive to maintain, but those horses give so much positivity to our community that I hope we can maintain them and keep our Mounted Policemen. And women.
1: Thank you for that, Janet. And Charles, you wanna wrap
2: up? My point of view right now is that I have done many marches and done a lot of work with the Richmond police and in And I've had some good experiences. I would love to see that return. All of this ride police and the ride jail. Take it all, put it on the ground. Grab the hand of the people that's out there fighting for other people's rights. Drop down your knee and pray to God that we can solve this.
1: Thank you, Charles Carter, thank you, Janet Worsham, and thank you, Sally Rugg. Janet,
2: thank you. You teach Charles, before I was a football coach, uh huh, I played bank. Played drums in the drum line for my high school. (laughs) And we played modern music and was considered probably one of the best bands in the state of Virginia. Proud of you, Charles. It takes a lot of showmanship, glitter, and glamour to be in a drum line where the whole band is black. Some of the best bands.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: your school colors is purple and gold And your uniform is green and gold Because you was wearing the uniform William & Mary And when they reopened the school They gave us that band uniform oh. Our banner was purple and gold And the uniform was green and gold
1: I bet, bet it was have beautiful Yeah <laughs> Sweet Well that's another sweet story Thank you all for your stories
3: Bye bye. Okay, All
1: bye. Right. bye now y'all. Okay. This has been an episode of Groundswell. I'm your host Sunny Gardner and it was produced in the loft studio at Epic Gardens. And I encourage you to learn more about our programs at LOTG Radio on Facebook that's short for Lightly on the Ground, our sister program. LOTG and also go to WRIR, Richmond Independent Radio. That's our community station here in Richmond. It's all volunteers. Let's sign off, and I appreciate all our guests, and I appreciate all the people who listen and support our volunteer radio stations. We still have a minute, so here's this. Voting in upcoming elections is vital, and in Virginia you can now vote early, by mail or in person. Be prepared. Know your candidates in any referendum on the ballot. Reconnoiter your polling place. Vote.org. that's vote.org, is one central source for this information. Stay calm and vote your conscience. This is how we bring about change. John Lewis would agree. So would everyone whose voices you heard on this episode of Groundswell. You are part of this. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks to Patricia Stansbury, a.k.a. Sunny Gardner, for guest hosting for Spirit in Action today, and she'll be back soon. There are links to her Lightly on the Ground program, to her Groundswell program, and a lot more on the northernspiritradio.org website. Lots of good stuff. Thanks for spending the time with us, doing slow radio, emphasizing depth over adrenaline, paying attention to people, not profits.